Hello and welcome to A Couple of Goons, a hockey podcast featuring me, Walt Hickey, and Neil Payne. Neil, how are you doing today? <laughs> hey, Walt. How's it going? Today, we are doing a Russian episode. And uh, as a result, we kicked it off with a brand new theme song. Judging by the availability of that IP, it might just be the theme song. I don't know how long it takes to talk about Russians and hockey, but Neil, that's what we're going into this week, in addition to a few other things. Yes, and uh, do you care to explain the uh, the news peg uh, that, that prompted this uh, Russian adventure? Yeah, so the New York Rangers have been gradually roll uh, like taking themselves out of a hole that somebody put them in it was actually an earlier version of the rangers uh and curse you earlier rangers yes well i mean I, i am the same way when it comes to how to do this and so uh we have a couple of players many of whom are really good uh one of whom is russian and who has been recalled to russia because he's being blackmailed by the russian government i think can you explain a little bit more yeah, so Artemi Panarin, the bread man, um, had to take a leave of absence from the team after these allegations, which we should not minimize. There was no, an allegation from a former uh, KHL coach named Andre Nazarov, who said that Panarin beat up an 18-year-old girl in 2011. Uh, and this was uh, printed in, I think, some kind of Russian newspaper. Uh, and so because of this, uh, Panarin stepped away from the Rangers sort of indefinitely i don't know what his timetable is on that and of course he denies the allegations and the weird kind of twist around this that makes this different from you know other allegations that uh unfortunately come up against pro athletes all too often is that there is this political aspect to it where panarin has been outspoken against uh vladimir putin and uh andre nazarov i believe is a supporter of putin and so there is this sort of give and take uh, of like the, the the implication that this is some kind of political retribution uh against panarin i don't i know nothing beyond those facts i, I don't know any if anyone does uh, especially like here in the u.s but that has caused panarin to uh, be away from the new york rangers at a moment when uh as you mentioned they're trying to dig out of the playoff odds hole that they put themselves in uh, well, that we were tough. put in. It's, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I was texting you about this. Again, like, this week we're talking about Russia and hockey. Uh, we're talking about the international relations component of hockey that is not North American in nature. But, like, I was telling you, Neil, I spent the entire damn Trump administration avoiding anybody who was tweeting about Compromot on Twitter, and now, all of a sudden, I need to drag myself to them and ask them what it is and why does it happen to people. It's very annoying, and I hate it. Uh, obviously, this is, like a very like these are very serious allegations it seems like the team went to him quicker and more like vociferously as if they had kind of vetted a little bit of the situation so again it remains to be seen but that said like i want to know why there's some putin in my hockey i just wanted to watch some hockey but now i got to think about putin well as you know putin is uh one of the premier hockey players in the world and if you uh, don't believe me just watch one of his extremely legitimate and competitive uh, games in which he plays against NHL caliber competition and scores three hat tricks in a game. And it, it's, it's just cause he's that good. It's, it's, uh, Neil, it's not because I don't know him. if you're joking right now. I don't know enough about hockey to dispute this. I don't think that, it, <laughs> I don't think that that's true, but I don't know why people get elected in places anymore because everyone has lost their mind. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just uh, just the same as uh, he was perfectly democratically elected and he is a uh, extremely gifted sniper uh, on the ice rink as well. Yep. That's all, all right. we have. That's all we need to say about yeah, that. So we will, no, we will, Putin we're going to spend the back half of this. Putin we're is a get huge to... hockey fan. Uh, and, uh, so he sort of likes to hobnob with Russian players and the, and the Russian Federation hockey team, which of course had to compete under a different banner. I think they were Olympic athletes from Russia in the last Olympics because of the, uh, doping rampant doping, uh, allegedly that was confirmed on video by many dedicated journalists and led to several Pulitzers, I think. Yeah, right. Exactly. But you know allegations uh yes the uh olympic athletes from russia are known to be uh extremely good at hockey and they have the expectation that they'll win and uh they're sort of toasted back home 
uh, as heroes, and they get the chance to uh, play totally legitimate games in which they try 100%, uh, but are still overwhelmed by the talent of Putin. I got it. So we will get more into Russia and hockey later. Uh, I have many questions. Uh, but first, you know, we here at A Couple of Goons strive for nothing but accuracy, uh, consistency, and reliability. And we got to own up to something. Uh, yeah, we failed yeah. in in, in some failed. of those uh, mission statements last week when we were giving out our tier rankings for the um, the awards uh, in last episode. Neil, we got we, we got to set the record right. Some of these awards are very stupid. <laughs> Would you like to go into some of what happens? Yeah, so uh, we were kind of doing a little lightning round toward the end of the episode, if I remember right, and we talked about the Marc Messier Leadership Award, which yes. uh, I, uh, you know, I think all of us we, we kind of gave it a cursory glance. We're like, there, there are a lot of leadership-based awards. Not really sure how this is different from, you know, the other half dozen ones. It felt like that we mentioned, so we we glossed over it. We yep. did not necessarily do as deep a dive into uh, this particular award as we should have. And a uh, individual on Twitter named Angus Lockhart, listener yeah. to our show, really appreciated. Well, uh, they Angus. pointed out, they pointed out uh, quite rightly that the Marc Messier Leadership Award, which I gave like a D tier to, I think <laughs> it was, it was not high. Uh, and I think that that sentiment was kind of shared. If if anyone else even gave it tears, I think you we gave it a C. It Emily gave it a B, and I did give it an F because you could not drink out of the Mark Messier. Well, that's that. that part doesn't need to be corrected. But no. I think that this uh, new, in light of new revelations about this award, specifically that it is not <laughs> voted on. You know, and all of almost all of these other awards, and I think we assumed with this one as well, it's voted on by a body of experts, yeah. whether they're players, they might be uh, journalists. journalists, yeah, they might be, um, you know, esteemed uh, uh, panels, I guess. But this particular award, as was pointed out by Angus Lockhart, literally is just. Mark Messier himself, the guy, the former <laughs> Edmonton Oilers, New York Rangers, and Vancouver Canucks. We don't talk about his time in the Canucks. Uh, legend. <laughs> Literally just every season sits down and is like, who do I like this season? <laughs> and gives an award, an officially sanctioned award, to basically his favorite player, is my understanding. It's and so good. Makes this, I think, an A tier award. So I'm yeah. gonna have to revise this because because it is so ridiculous that just one dude and Mark Messier is a great player. We will probably talk about him at length at some point in the in the future in some future episode, um, perhaps episode eleven uh, for for his jersey number. Uh, but uh, it it is still. Kind of hilarious that Mark Messier is, to my knowledge, the only guy who's like singularly has an award that he just basically can pick whoever he feels like giving it to, and then it's like Neil, official in in any league. Like, Maybe can you think of another sport. league? Like, can you think of another league that just has the uh, like? Yes, that this is the Steve Award. It's given by Steve. He was very good for quite some time, and now he just gets to pick somebody who gets an award. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what it is. This is uh, Mark's award, Mark's own personal <laughs> piece of hardware. And uh, I think that's that's pretty funny, but it's also a recognition of the fact that Mark Messier is generally regarded as the greatest captain or whatever you want to say, leader uh, in NHL history. So I guess you're appealing to authority in this award. You're sort of saying like, yeah. well, who knows more? about leadership than the greatest captain of all time. So we'll just let him pick who he thinks exemplified that this year. Yeah, it's a committee of 10 members, all of whom accidentally are Mark Messier. <laughs> yeah, they'll average together the vote totals from Mark <laughs> Messier with double weight going to Mark Messier. <laughs> In the event of a tie, the break in yes. the tiebreaker is Mark Messier. It's Mark Messier is called in. He's the president pro tempore of the Mark Messier Award. <laughs> um, 
that was i mean that was just deeply funny i know that our award show last week was very fun because it went on a little long and i hate going long but it was actually like very interesting to see all the all the hardware that this league doles out and um yeah so thank you for for writing in angus yes and uh if anyone any listeners in the future detect any more errors that we have made because there probably are more uh feel free to tweet at any of us either of us uh whoever you want to uh and again as as you've said walt if you have our personal cell phone number uh, send us a text just a voicemail, text, whatever. I don't know, man. It's all yeah, good. You could leave a voicemail. Yeah, we are in the, we are in a growth phase, so we probably know everybody who listens. Um, now, true. next up, we get to team of the week. Team of the week, yes. Neil. You have a team yeah, of the so week. The, yes, the team of the week tends to go to the team that gained the most in uh, ELO ratings over the past week. You can find those ELO ratings at uh, the GitHub for Neil Payne five three eight. Uh, quick, quick plug for the GitHub as usual each week. Um, now technically this is a different team of the week than usual because technically the team that has gained the most points in the last week were the Minnesota wild, which we have to give them credit for, uh, you know, playing very well right now. They are up to a 63% chance of making the playoffs. Uh, good for them. You know, they, they are uh, playing much better now than they did earlier in the season. But I'm going to give the team of the week to a team that has actually been better over. Uh, they've been almost as good as the Wild over the last week, but they've been also better than them over the past two weeks. I would mm-hmm. argue that they've been the best team that has a chance to make the playoffs over the past couple weeks. And they're also interesting to me, and that's the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, no one can see this, but I'm wearing an Edmonton Oilers hat right now in honor of this team. Uh, yeah. But the Oilers, they've gained the second most points of any team this week. And they're on like a really ridiculous uh, stretch right now uh, after starting the season a little bit rough, uh, which has been sort of part of their MO. I think we talked about them as being something along the lines of highly disappointing, uh, you know, we <laughs> use language like that to describe them uh, as of like a couple weeks ago. But really, they have going back to. Uh, uh January 30th. So since January 30th, they've won 10 of 12 games, uh all but one of which have been in regulation. So they haven't been sort of getting these kind of cheap gimme overtime or shootout wins. They've been winning outright in regulation uh a lot recently and they have played themselves now in our playoff odds. They have an 81% chance to make the playoffs. They were under 40% uh, or maybe even close to 30% uh, as of a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. Uh, And it looked like it was going to be another season for the Oilers in their typical style, which is they're going to score a lot of points. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are going to have an amazing year offensively and and have great numbers. And yet somehow that's not going to translate to actual team success. They're going to either you know, make the playoffs, but not make any noise there, or maybe not even make it at all. And they have turned that narrative around in the past few weeks, except the part about McDavid and Dreisaitl being great, because those two guys are absolutely playing out of their minds right now, which is not new. But this, uh, if you look at goals above replacement, which is my stat for, you know, kind of an all-in-one number of goals created by a player, net goals, so both on offense and defense, um, uh, created and prevented by a player. Connor McDavid now, per 82 games, is on a pace for 32.5 goals above replacement, which, if it holds, would be, and and it won't hold over 82 games because I know they're only playing 56 this year, but if he holds the pace for a full (laughs) season... It would be the best season of his career. And this is a guy that we're talking about in the same conversation with Wayne Gretzky, even, dare I say, Brent Gretzky, uh, and Mario Lemieux and Sidney Crosby, all of the greats of the game, especially Brent Gretzky. Uh, And and yet this would be by far the best season of his career uh, that he has. He has 38 points in just 21 games. Uh, including 13 goals, uh, and Drysaddle's numbers are not anything to sneeze at either. He's 33 points in 21 games. Uh, the difference is they're also getting pretty good goaltending, especially from Mike Smith. Darnell Nurse has emerged as a uh, one of the best defensemen in the league, uh, in particular this season. Tyson Berry also in that conversation. 
They're getting a lot out of Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who has had a little bit of an up and down career. Uh, so they, they are really getting a lot of contributions up and down from a bunch of guys. In addition to Dreisaitl and McDavid, who are also having some of, if not the best seasons of their careers. And they've played themselves, like I said, above 80% playoff chance. It's not, you know, ironclad, you know, stone cold lock quite yet. But for a team in this Canadian division where some of the other Canadian teams, like we talked about the Montreal Canadiens early in the season, they looked like they would be that team to maybe be up in that echelon next to the Toronto Maple Leafs as, you know, a very good chance of making the playoffs. They just fired their coach today. Claude Julian got fired. Uh, even though they have a 74% chance of making the playoffs, apparently that was not enough uh, to hold up to uh, the Habs standards. But the Oilers have really surpassed <laughs> them or m- at least matched them when it comes to ELO ratings, playoff odds, almost, you know, same conversation for, for probability of winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, and so I think credit to them. They also have a, a slightly higher points percentage if you're into that. Uh, they're above them in the division standing. So, um, yeah, kudos to the Oilers. And hopefully this can be the year that Dreisaitl and McDavid kind of put it together and have a really deep playoff run like people have been expecting from this team for a long time. I mean, they have had an absurd number of very high draft picks and a ton of talent on hand to not have the level of playoff success that to, to have the level of playoff success that they don't have. They haven't they have not had. <laughs> Playoff success. That's what I'm trying to say on that. Um, so it's nice to see them uh, actually be in, in good playoff position right now. That's fun. And so the, the Oilers, if I'm remembering correctly, is that where Brent's brother played for a while? Yes, Brent's brother was uh, known as a member of the Edmonton Oilers uh, for a long time and won uh, many Stanley Cups with them before going to uh, going to the hockey hotbed of Los Angeles, California. Well, we'll have to get that later. Uh, I mean, when we do our Brent Gretzky episode. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's now what Now, to be clear, Brent, Brent didn't um, – I don't think Brent played for the uh, – played in Los Angeles. He oh. was in Tampa for a while, well, which is another hockey The hockey. LA of Florida, you know? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, they always say about Tampa. Yes. I, I, keep, I know that you keep on calling places hotbeds, but I can't tell if that's actually like – a night like hotbeds for bad for ice and that kind of stuff. <laughs> but well, I, yeah, you could you could see it that way because yeah, I'm, I'm uh, being kind of facetious facetious <laughs> about uh, those those locales um, as being traditional hockey. Generally, and we can talk about. I think we're gonna do a little mini update on ice following up on our second episode uh, in a bit. Uh, but uh, generally, if there's not natural ice outside that you mm-hmm. can skate on and i don't mean natural ice the the cheap beer either the cheap uh, <laughs> i lived on that for beer. several years <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, talk to me about natty bow and then then we'll really have something <laughs> um but yes it, generally if you can't go outside during the winter and legitimately find a surface of ice to skate on uh there would be some individuals that would say maybe that city or location should not have a hockey team I, we might I talk about this later. One of those individuals, but th- that's an argument that has been put forth, perhaps by our Canadian friends to the north. We might we might even get to that later this episode. Um, I also I admired your <laughs> Edmonton hat. Do you like yes. my New Jersey Devils hat? <laughs> it is a metaphorical New Jersey Devils hat. Yes, there's a gigantic pot leaf on it, and congratulations to New Jersey. Um, so next up, we have outdoor hockey. Uh, Neil. We talked about playing, we talked about ice a few weeks ago. And again, that was a kind of a very like silly episode because it was just like, ice is kind of confusing to me and no other sport has it. Let's get into it. That was so prescient. You talked about how there was a Vegas incident and it appears that Lake Tahoe was even worse. Yeah, maybe they should give up on trying to play outdoors in Nevada. That seems <laughs> to be a, a theme it for was- them. Very pretty. It was very, very oh, pretty. Oh, it was so pretty. So much prettier than the Vegas Strip uh, or Caesars Palace or whatever it was the first time around. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like they, uh, perhaps pun intended, they flew a little too close to the sun. They were trying <laughs> to get that unbelievable daytime midday shot of the rink and then the background of the lake and the mountains. And it was very, very pretty, like you said. Unfortunately, 
And, you know, to their credit, and I checked this, I, I was like, what's the weather like in Lake Tahoe as the ice surface was beginning to deteriorate? I was like, is it like 40 to 50 degrees? It was 32 degrees, which on paper, you would look yeah. at it and be like, this this should be freezing. This surface yeah. should be frozen. The one thing they didn't seem to account for is that uh, that flaming ball of hydrogen <laughs> and helium uh, that was right overhead and all day. <laughs> uh, all day and was melting the hell out of that ice. And uh, you knew it was bad when they had to have some guys bring out buckets. And also they were using, they were literally using the puck to like tamp down chunks of snow <gasps> into like uh pile from piles along like puddles. And it was like, uh, and uh, the, obviously the great shot was that lo- that wide shot that they had of the referee tripping, and then not two seconds later, <laughs> a player skating by and also tripping and falling. And so, yeah. And then shout out to all the people that were tuning into this game at whenever, 2 p.m. or whenever it was supposed to start, and then held out and watched the last two periods of that uh, that Avalanche Golden Knights game starting at midnight Eastern. I was not one of those. Yeah. And I am a fairly diehard hockey fan. It was so, so funny. Yeah. I was like, oh man, they're not going to air it on, on NBC? That's so cool. But then I remembered the existence of Saturday Night Live. <laughs> like it was the one yeah. channel that can't air it. Like if that was airing on ABC, <laughs> they have nothing airing at midnight. <laughs> like... Live from Lake, Lake Tahoe, it's Saturday night. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so... And, yeah, no, and I, I thought it was like, like beautiful the, location. The, mm-hmm. And the game the next day, to their credit, also went off without a hitch for everyone except the Flyers who got crushed uh, in that game. But uh, it really was a <laughs> testament to like, maybe they should play at night and <laughs> use the the natural cooling effect of uh, nighttime Earth to their advantage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or even just like a midday, like an early day game. Like it seemed like it was just, it was cooking out there like... In for hours over the noon sun, which I'm no astronomer, but it's my understanding that that's the time when it's hot out. And so, like, if you do like a 10 a.m. Saturday game, East Coast, you're already looking at like two, like rather, uh, you know, noon or one. That could be feasible. It's just like the mid afternoon seems like the literal worst time to get the worst ice uh, in that place where they shot Fredo Corleone. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly think that like they did not even think about the sun effect. I don't know how that's possible. Like I, yeah. I assume they have, I don't know, scientists, ice. Why uh, do you ice assume that they have scientists? Ice technicians, uh, ice, ice experts, but someone, <laughs> you would think someone along the way would be like, huh, you think that this is going to melt at mid? No, 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 it'll be fine. It'll, it'll be, be great. Fine. Yeah. But it was a great setup. I hope that they do more like it. Just I hope that they do more likely in in places that are very cold because it was like really pretty to watch. It was like I think that outdoor hockey looked very nice. I mean, like it's also nice because like we can't have fans this year. Well, I shouldn't say that we should not have fans this year. Some teams disagree about the camp component of that, but uh, we should not have fans this year. So like, why not just do it in weird, exciting places? Yeah, and that's something that uh, I think Greg Wyshynski of ESPN had a story about the idea that the NHL, they want to do landmark, more landmark games. Like if they don't care about necessarily having fans for these games, they've talked about doing it like outside the Washington Monument or at Mount Rushmore or like really random places uh, that I'm all for. I think there should be uh, really weird, like the weirdest landmarks that you could find, like uh, where is that gigantic like roadside dinosaur that you can like in the in the middle of oh, nowhere that you can like? Is it Pee Wee's Great Adventure? Maybe I Play watched it the, the documentary. That. 
Nomadland uh, features the dinosaur. I believe it's in South Dakota or North Dakota. But like, just do all the games there. It's rad. Like, I mean, like for the Canadians, do it like Banff. Like, you have like a lot of natural splendor out there. My understanding about the entire Canadian economy is that you can't throw a rock without hitting a hockey rink. Like, you should be able to do it in other exciting different places. Like, yeah, and and the NHL has has both the Winter Classic which gets played outdoors generally in U.S. locations or, or at least a mix. They also have the Heritage Classic, which is an outdoor game for uh, Canadian-only teams that's played mm. out in Canada. And I got to say, even at the the heat of the midday sun in freaking Winnipeg or Edmonton, <laughs> I don't think you're going to have ice problems if you yeah. play outdoors in Canada. Just my two cents. Or just north of Lake Tahoe. Like, it's just, it's like, there are so many northern cities that are very cold right now. Anyway, uh, let's move on to, I want to do a quick little thing. We're going to tee this one up. If you have a number teed up, Neil, I'll, if not, I'll vamp a little bit. But it's like, you had mentioned that we wanted to start maybe highlighting some players. And yes, luckily, each player is, and tell me, stop me if I'm wrong at any point, each player is assigned a number that oftentimes they will hold on to for a duration of time that gets them, if not, you know, linked to, but if not synonymous to uh, that number. And because we are numbering our episodes, I, I don't know if fans have noticed, but we've numbered our episodes that we have the ability to have 9,999 episodes of this. It is very important to me that we set our goals very high. Right now we are on episode 0006. And so we were thinking, why not highlight a player who once held the number 0006? Does it have to have the zeros in front? That's the no, real question. I, can, I, I recently read a thing about the Mets, how the zeros are suddenly a problem now in sports. But uh, either way, we can just take a six. And why is that? Uh, like, can we pause for a second and say that that is the dumbest thing we've ever heard? That uh, that it's incompatible or that somehow a mascot's jersey number counts officially against the team's jersey number restrictions for the roster? Like, yeah, come on, guys. I mean... <laughs> My understanding is that Mr. Met is like, bare, like he lives upstate. I hear he just kind of comes into the city. He's a real like bridge and t- it's like not even a new. It's, I hear he lives in Jersey, like Montclair. But like, oh yeah, I know, God. oh I know, yeah, that's right on the street. That said, if anybody took Gritty's number, Gritty would kill them in their sleep. Oh, for sure. I mean, he <laughs> he might just do it anyway for fun. Uh, <laughs> So, yes, uh, this being episode number six, I'm going to, you know, it's not going to be the best player that wore that number. It's just going to be a player that I remember. <laughs> so it's a little like Let's talk Mark about Messier. some guys with Neil Payne. Yeah, it's a little like the Marc Messier Award. I, th- I think we can take inspiration <laughs> from that. Um, but I'm going to say number six, episode number six goes to a guy named Phil Housley. He was a uh, defenseman, uh, an offensive defenseman, which uh, I'm sure we'll we'll talk about the weirdly quixotic naming conventions of certain hockey roles. You would think that is a contradiction in terms, uh, but he was a great uh, scoring uh, blue liner. That's what they often call defensemen also, because people love to have synonyms for different uh, positions. But Phil Housley, Maybe not the best defensive defenseman, which you would think would be uh, perhaps uh, vital to the role of playing defenseman, but you'd be wrong. But he was a a great rushing defenseman uh, that once scored 97 points in a season. Generally, 100 points is a good, you know, really good number. Sometimes there were seasons in the 90s that players didn't even get 100, but that's kind of a magic number. He had 97 points in the 1993 season playing with the Winnipeg Jets. back when before they became the Phoenix Coyotes. Uh, and that's a lot of points for a defenseman. So shout out to Phil Housley. Yeah. He keeps scoring almost 100 points from the back line while playing perhaps questionable defense, but I don't want to cast dispersions. Phil Housley, you are our player, uh, the pain player of the week. Well done. <laughs> Sponsored by the number six. Sponsored by the number six. That's right. <laughs> um, now we get into the meat and potatoes of our episode, the borscht, if you will. Russians, they're in hockey a lot. What's up with that? Yeah, so Russian hockey is, it has a very long and storied history. You might remember uh, that one of the greatest hockey moments, at least from 
a chauvinistic American standpoint uh, in history involved the Russians and involved the 1980 U.S. Olympic team upsetting those Russians, the Soviets, uh, the Red Army. Uh, and what made that such a big deal is because they were dominant at hockey. They were so much better than the Americans and uh, probably even better than the Canadians, which was blasphemous to think about uh, in the 1950s and 60s. As they sort of started building that Red Army team, they put the the fear of God into the Canadian team, which had long been untouchable at hockey when they played against each other. Uh, they would play an event called the Canada Cup, which was between the USSR and Team Canada. And I believe the in the first Canada Cup uh, in the 70s, Canada like barely won. And the guy that scored the the winning goal in the deciding game was considered like a godlike national hero because he staved off the humiliation of Canada having to admit that there was a country out there that was better than them, <laughs> marginally better than them at hockey. But that's how great the Red Army team was. Uh, and so, you know, they because of the Iron Curtain, they were not allowed to play in the NHL except in uh, after daring uh uh, you know, departures from the country, uh, defections uh, where they would come uh, to a, a westernized country under the auspices of playing in some tournament or something like that. And then they would sneak out of their hotel in the middle of the night under an assumed name at great risk to, to themselves uh, and, and their families. And and so you really had drips and drabs of, of Russian players coming into the NHL until the fall of the Soviet Union. And then the floodgates really, really opened up and you saw Russian players not just enter the league, but they became the dominant, in many ways, the dominant forces uh, of the league. One of the first teams to kind of embrace the Russians was the Detroit Red Wings of the 1990s. They assembled uh, what's known as the Russian Five. Sergei Fedorov, Vyacheslav Fetisov, Vladimir Konstantinov, Vyacheslav Kozlov, and Igor Larionov. And they would sometimes play all five of them together at once. And it was really the some of the most sort of beautiful, fluid, uh, amazing uh, hockey that that uh, you would ever see. And uh, now, of course, it's just not even all that strange to have Russians in the league. Uh, Alex Ovechkin of the Washington Capitals is slowly, slowly but surely creeping up behind Brent Gretzky's brother on the all-time goal scoring list. He, of <laughs> course, is uh, is very Russian. And uh, he uh, sort of exemplifies this current era of it being commonplace for a lot of the best players in the league to be Russian. It's, it's totally different now than it was uh, back in the 80s when almost no players or you know, basically no players in the league were Russian. So Russia has a long hockey history, and that's how you end up with guys like Artemi Panarin playing for the New York Rangers, having uh, troubling allegations that also possibly involve political criticisms of Vladimir Putin. Yeah. What's the KHL? That's the Continental Hockey League, and it is the Russian equivalent of the NHL. And it's a pretty high caliber league. Like if we're talking about leagues outside North America, it's probably the best. I don't necessarily have like a hard, you know, number uh, on that or anything like that. And, uh, the, you know, the Elitzerian in Sweden might uh, be very angry at me right now for saying <laughs> that or some of these other some of these other leagues obviously can compete. Uh, whatever league Yammer Yager is playing in in the Czech Republic right now. I don't know. Uh, but I, I think generally the KHL is regarded as probably the best league outside of North America. And um, uh, that is also Putin is a avid khl fan and like i i don't necessarily have like hard sources on this but uh i've heard like rumors that he even sort of uh like nudges certain players to go to like his preferred teams like he the, he literally uh interferes with like khl free agency to try to no. kind of direct outcomes uh, but he's like a huge hockey nut, so it, it kind of makes sense that he would be so um, so obsessive about. The Is he a hockey pro? Vladimir Putin well, I mean, he bro? plays hockey. He he does play hockey, um, and uh, certainly fancies himself as a uh, hockey pro. Um. So again, obviously, so Alexander Ovechkin, I have you know heard of oftentimes. 
uh, my friend Laura Murray will consistently text me about his performance because she is a Caps fan. And I also spent like he's been there for quite some time. And I like spent some time in Virginia when I was in college. And it seems like he's just he's been really, really good for a very, very long time. Yeah, I mean, he is legitimately one of the handful of best players in the history of hockey, which is interesting. I mean, he has a longstanding uh, rivalry, I guess you would call it. I mean, uh, maybe a little bit less of a personal rivalry, but certainly between the teams with Sidney Crosby of the Pittsburgh Penguins, who uh, ha- they came into the league, I think, a year apart from each other, uh, and they uh, have sort of put up numbers next to each other uh, over time. Uh, and so uh, they've naturally been compared to each other. Uh, and Pittsburgh always kind of had Washington's number in the playoffs until they didn't. And Washington was able to break through win the Stanley cup uh, a few years ago. Also uh, a very famous Russian teammate of Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin has a beef with Alex Ovechkin. I don't know if that Ooh. beef is still, um, is still sizzling on the grill, uh, but there were like <laughs> nightclub fights. There's actually, uh, so SB Nation or Secret Base, whatever they're calling themselves these days, uh, they have a great video series called Beef History. And yeah. there is a uh, an installment of that about the Ovechkin versus Malkin beef. Uh, and, and those two guys, at least traditionally, don't like each other. And that's actually more of a legitimate rivalry than the Ovechkin versus Crosby rivalry, which is sort of like, these two guys are both really good at the same time and they play for teams that are rivals. But I don't sense a lot of personal uh, animosity. There's like personal animosity stemming from incidents at Russian nightclubs between (laughs) Melkin and Ovechkin. So uh, those are just two of the best Russian players uh, that are in the league right now. Um, But uh, and, And I think they're the two most iconic Russian players in the league at the moment, um, uh, or at least in this era, I guess we would call it. Um, uh, and in the past, you know, Sergei Fedorov, oh my God, if you ever have a chance to watch his highlights, he yeah. is unbelievable in terms of as a skater, as a, uh, offensive genius, but also as a defensive player. He, he even played defenseman, even though he was a center, uh, in, um, like key playoff games when the Red Wings were down a defenseman, they were like, Oh yeah, let's take this guy that this isn't even his position. Oh, he like could be one Mm -hmm. of the best in the league at it. If, if he did it full time. Um, So he's probably my favorite Russian player of the past. Pavel Bure is a guy uh, who married Candace Cameron of uh, full house. Uh, 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 Or no, I'm sorry. His brother married Candace Cameron. I'm sorry. Candace Cameron Bure is married to Valeri Bure, <laughs> not Pavel. Sorry about that. Uh, he, he is the uh, brother-in-law of Candace Cameron. Um, but anyway, they're both Russian. Uh, and Pavel Bure, also the Russian rocket, one of the great all-time scorers. And then uh, if you're looking for another one of the best uh, Russian players in the league right now, Nikita Kucherov of the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's not playing uh, this season, at least not during the regular season. He's injured, uh, hopefully back for the playoffs, but he helped lead the Tampa Bay Lightning to the Stanley Cup last year, and he's also a guy that just puts up crazy numbers, uh, one of the best offensive players in the league right now. Very fun, very fun. So, again, we've talked a little bit about you know, the Russian influence on the league and some of the best players. We've also talked about, like, again, some of the geopolitical influence of, of like, again, Putin is genuinely having an impact on the future of the of the NHL season this year. Hooray. Um, I guess while we're on the topic of extremely controversial, you know, strongmen who have a vicious grip on an organization, I kind of wanted to bring up an elephant to the room. And we saw a little bit of him at the, like, Tahoe game. But who is Gary Bettman, and why don't people like him? <laughs> so, boy, you really, uh, you know, the uh, going from Putin to Bettman is, uh, uh, I think, a pretty fitting and uh, certainly telling. Uh, do I level transition. up? Do I level up for that? I think you leveled up as a, as a third Just... level hockey mage with Hooray. this uh, with, no, with that move. I'm not- not a third level mage. I'm actually I'm multi-classing. I'm going to dip in barbarian. So I got two levels of mage and one in barbarian. 
Barbarian does make sense as a, so yeah, I think Barbarian is sort of like more of a checking, uh, uh, checking line player. Whereas yeah, the mage would be more like a, a wizard with the puck, like a, you know, Pavel Bure type. So I, I like that you're kind of mixing the two together. Um, and, and you're becoming a, um, almost like you'd be a power forward. You'd be a guy that could score, but also, you know, muck it up in the corners uh, when, when the game got physical in the playoffs. Try try to win max a little bit. Anyway. Yes. Yes. So Gary Bettman is the commissioner of the NHL uh, and he became the commissioner in 1993. He was, uh, he, he was in the front office of the league at the NBA under David Stern uh, before going to hockey. Uh, and, uh, he is very hated, uh, for all of the changes that he helped usher into the game of hockey, especially changes that traditionalists really did not care for. Uh, and they kind of all happened in the nineties, like right after he became commissioner. And we should say Mm -hmm. when he took over as commissioner, he took over for a guy named Gil Stein who tried literally, this is the guy, this is where the bar was set before Batman. This guy (laughs) tried to use his position as interim commissioner of hockey (gasps) to get himself elected to the hockey hall of fame. (laughs) No, (laughs) no. And only after a lot of public outcry, did he um, like, you know, step down and be like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that people would get so mad that I rigged myself being a, I don't know even what he was or what, like what his justification was uh, to try to get himself into the hall of fame. Uh, but uh, anyway, he sort of, you know, recused himself and that's when uh, Gary Batman took over and Batman. So he was the rebound. Yeah. He's a rebound. And it was a rebound. Exactly. He was a rebound Jesus. commissioner, uh, which, you know, is always a bad, uh, a bad recipe. And yet the NHL has, has stuck with Batman in this kind of dysfunctional relationship for a long time. And that relationship has overseen. Let's see. What are the things that hockey fans hate about Batman? Well, rampant expansion. I think that's right. a huge storyline of his. What was the league um, when he joined in? How, how I believe it was 21 teams or something like that uh, when, when he t- or right before he took over. I should say some of them were put into motion before he uh, became commissioner, but he definitely became associated with all of the teams. And uh, it, it now is at 31 teams. So uh, and the bulk of those teams, aside from the Vegas Golden Knights, were added in the span of basically a decade. So you're essentially talking about adding hundreds of players to the player pool and uh, teams to locations like Nashville, Miami, Anaheim, Atlanta, uh, Columbus, Ohio. Uh, He also oversaw um, relocations, which I think is a big aspect of what people um, were mad at him about. So the North Stars, who used to play in Minneapolis, St. Paul, they uh, moved to Dallas and became the Dallas Stars. The Quebec Nordiques, uh, who played in Quebec City, they moved to Denver to become the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets, part one, uh, uh, move, Phil Housley's Winnipeg Jets, uh, moved to Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, the Hartford Whalers, the beloved Hartford Whalers, moved to uh, North Carolina. Uh, first, I think, Greensboro, uh, and, and then to um, Charlotte. Uh, and so, or maybe that's the other way around. Uh, but in any event, uh, those were moves that traditionalists, oh, they're based in Raleigh, by the way, the Carolina Hurricanes are now, um, that uh, those moves, if you can sense a pattern, they were teams going from Canadian and or Northern cities to Southern and or Western and or just, you know, non-traditional hockey uh, locations. Colorado had had a team Uh, And I think they moved to Kansas city and then became the New Jersey devils. Uh, So they, they, they were the um, Colorado Rockies, not to be confused with the baseball team in the same name in the seventies and then became the Kansas city scouts. Uh, So there was just the, he, uh, he oversaw that happen. Right. But Neil, uh this is this like you, 
can't keep criticizing this because it worked. Hockey is the most popular sport in the American South. Everybody from the entire, from Arizona to Florida is signing their kids up to play hockey. Like you, you gotta look at the success. Yeah. Well, and I will say unironically that there ha you are starting to see some of the fruits of trying to expand hockey and extend uh, the reach of people playing it to non-traditional markets in the form of players like Austin Matthews, who grew up in Arizona and is now one of the best players in the NHL. Uh, and you're seeing players from like weird kind of non-traditional locations start to make an impact. So I think Bettman could kind of point to that and say, you see, we expanded the the reach of hockey and it's having an effect on um, you know the player pool. Now, I will not be one to necessarily make uh, pro Batman arguments in this podcast, though. There, there, there will be few and far between devil's advocate arguments made on Batman's behalf because I haven't even <laughs> talked about the multiple lockouts that happened on his watch, uh, one of which knocked out We've an agreed entire to make That is going to be a separate episode that we're going to do entirely, so we're going to go over the event. But what were the, the other event. lockouts? Yes. Yeah, so the first one came in 1994, 95, uh, which was kind of a prelude to the to the 2004, 2005 one. And the season was only a 48 game season. Uh, Batman was really trying to get a salary cap or some kind of luxury tax in place and uh, essentially reduce player compensation. Uh, and it just became very bitter uh, between him leading you know the owner's charge and and the players uh to the point that chris chelios who himself is a character uh who who played for a long time with the chicago blackhawks and the detroit red wings kind of a hard-nosed defenseman literally made a threat in a newspaper saying that batman should be worried about his family and his <laughs> well-being uh almost like a <laughs> you know, it would be a shame if some fans or or, or one of the players you know, it, it caused uh, an unfortunate accident to happen to Mr. Batman. Yeah, you know, oh, that no. type of thing. So that's kind of the atmosphere that they Did were that kind of well? working with. Well, uh, they eventually, I don't think, uh, well, Batman didn't get the salary cap he wanted. It wiped out half the season and created a ton of animosity between the players and the uh, owners, which would set the stage for an even worse lockout down the line. So you tell me. Uh, so, but anyway... <laughs> Um, and then there was another lockout, kind of the other half of the sandwich in which the event is the 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 um, the Oreo like filling in the middle. These are the cookies on the outside. Are the uh, was the lockout in 2012-13, which I think uh, reduced it to like a 50 game season or something like that. Um, and again, it was it wasn't about a salary cap. They already kind of put that into place because of the event. Uh, but it was about reducing the share of revenue to the players and free agency rules and like contract links and things like that. Uh, so you're uh, to try to get rid of things like the infamous Ilya Kovalchuk 17 year salary cap evading backloaded contract, front loaded contract, whatever it was. That's another thing we can talk about. Another Russian, by the way. Uh, so uh, it, 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 those three lockouts. Uh, and and the damage that they did, including one which also saw um, the NHL and their TV situation has stabilized. Now they're on NBC. They're on uh, the late great NBC Sports Network. God bless its soul. Uh, but they uh, they didn't have a national TV contract when Batman took over. He signed a deal with Fox. Fox put into place the glowing Fox Tracks puck, which again we should do devote a whole episode to why that was so hated. <laughs> Essentially, it was a artificial uh, computer-generated vapor trail on uh, the puck to try to help U.S. fans that couldn't follow the action see where the puck was at any given time, and it was widely derided. Uh, I think it was a little bit of an idea ahead of its time, but again, I'm not going to make pro Batman excuses here. <laughs> also, after the event, the NHL's uh, national TV deal uh, w went from being with ESPN, it's like cable deal with ABC and ESPN, to being with... NBC and something called Versus, 
No, actually, before that, it was with literally something called the Outdoor Life Network, which, by the way, would have been a great, uh, great tie-in with the Lake Tahoe game, Outdoor Life Network. It makes that sounds sense. like an indie band that I like. Like <laughs> the Outdoor Life Network. Yes. Uh, no, at the time, the Outdoor Life Network was uh, a network devoted to things like hunting, fishing, camping, mm. and hockey. Inexplicably, sure. then yeah. it became something known as Versus which is also not a great name for no. a, a network. Like what My is that? High school played football on versus like that's versus. like, yeah, no, it was yeah North Jersey baby. But um, yeah. no, that doesn't sound like it's exactly dealing with the top brass. No. And, and so then I believe that out of the ashes of versus came the Phoenix known as NBC sports <laughs> network. Um, but, uh, all of those changes kind of made the NHL a little bit of more of a laughing stock than perhaps it already was. Uh, and Batman, you know, it's just kind of a, you know, people don't like him on a personal level. He seems very kind of untrustworthy. Like he'll, like he has said multiple times about teams that like weren't moving and then they did move within like, uh, several weeks, uh, or talk about, you know, make these kind of weaselly statements about, uh, trying to obfuscate the owners, trying to screw the players out of money in these negotiations. And, uh, he, he's just kind of an off-putting individual, I think in a lot of ways. And then, um, uh, he's known for being booed, uh, at every Stanley cup, uh, awarding ceremony. So the commissioner, when the, when they bring our S tier trophy out yes. and award it to the team adjudged to have won the playoffs, uh, <laughs> Gary Batman is the, is the MC of that event. And when they have fans, unlike last year, which probably was the greatest Stanley cup of batman's life because there were no fans there to <laughs> boo him but uh, otherwise the general rule is the second that he grabs the mic and starts talking uh even if it's i mean this is the funniest thing even if he's saying complimentary things about the team that just won the cup in front of its home fans they will still boo him mercilessly <laughs> no matter what he does he he is the most i think the most hated i mean roger goodell probably gives him a run for his money but i would say you could make a pretty strong case for batman as the most hated commissioner in all of uh pro sports uh and yeah that's i think uh what what brings us to making this putin comparison <laughs> on our show today yes. episode six the phil housley yeah the uh it was just interesting because like it was like i had consistently seen people like on the internet refer to like that guy and i was just kind of wondering what the goss is and like again it seems like he's very long tenured it seems for a commissioner if it was the early 90s that he joined yeah, and I think that that speaks to the differences fundamentally between what fans want out of a commissioner and what uh, owners want out of a commissioner. And we're seeing that with Rob Manfred. I also should say he has definitely uh, elevated himself to perhaps Batman levels in the rankings, the commissioner baseball, uh, recently. But uh, I think in each case, uh, you see... Uh, a guy who is maybe not necessarily even that much of a fan of the game or certainly uh, hardcore fans distrust the passion level coming from the NBA. They were like, who is this guy? What is he doing? He's making changes. I should say he made changes instantly to the playoff format. I mentioned that the, the divisions and the conferences used to have fun names like Campbell and Prince of Wales and Smythe division and Norris division and all these things. And Batman was like, <laughs> uh, we gotta, we gotta put an end to that. Nobody knows what those are. Uh, even though they've been in place for decades or whatever. So instead we're going to call it just boring Eastern and Western and Atlantic and central and Pacific and then get creative with something called the Metropolitan Division, which really doesn't have a geographic meaning, but is designed as a catch-all for the teams that they couldn't make work uh, in true geographical uh, alignments uh, when they realigned the, the league uh, several years ago. So I think those things add up where it's like, does this guy even like hockey? Uh, that's a feeling that kind of comes toward it. But then the owners look at it and they're like, did we get our salary cap? Yes. Have the values of our franchise gone up massively since this guy took over? Yes. Uh, you know, is he trying to grow the game in a way that will cause our uh, investment to appreciate? Yes. So 
those are things fans don't care about. Uh, those are things that the 31 owners care about. And I think that explains the entire, um, uh, disconnect. I mean, there was even like, look, the NHL was maybe not in great financial straits, uh, when Bettman took over to the point that people were suggesting that owners of the existing teams were using the expansion fees for, from these new teams to fund their debts, almost like a Ponzi scheme. That is a Ponzi scheme. That's exactly what that is. You let the Anaheim Mighty Ducks come into the league so that Disney will pay some expansion fee that some percentage of which goes to pay down the arena in, uh, you know, I don't know where. Uh, but uh, I think that I don't know how much truth there was to that, but that's an interesting example of where the NHL was when Batman took over and perhaps motivations in addition to growing the game for all of those expansion teams and the expansion, you know, quality of play was not great after they added. I mean, who would have guessed that adding 10 teams in the span of a decade would result in uh, players that perhaps were not fit to be NHL caliber players entering the league and then resorting to tactics like grabbing and, you know, holding the talented players to avoid uh, being embarrassed and causing the game to slow down to a crawl and be dominated by low-scoring, unexciting teams and uh, cause some of your best players to openly complain about the style of play and or retire prematurely. And those are things that also happened under Bettman's first few years in the league. My favorite thing about this is about five minutes ago, you said, and that's why people don't like Batman. And then like over the, you just like, and another thing, and another thing. And then he ruined the sport. And then they added teams that were bet. Like it's just, it's been nonstop. Hey, <laughs> like, give me more time and I can probably uh, come up with more uh, anti-Batman arguments. So maybe we should cut off the segment before <laughs> that happens. All right. This has been Batman watch 2021. Um, yes. Batman yeah, watch episode six. That's a uh, episode six. Good episode. This has been fun. Um, so yeah. What are you watching this week? Any games that people should keep an eye on? Yes. Yeah, so the best game of the upcoming, uh, few days, there's the end of the Carolina hurricanes, Tampa Bay lightning series, uh, of games back to back. The, uh, lightning took, I think the past couple games, although Carolina won, uh, the first, uh, of those games, and then the Lightning will play the Stars. That's uh, a couple times. That's a pretty good series. And then outside of the Central Division, the Bruins and the uh, Islanders are playing tomorrow. We got uh, Avalanche Wild. We got Golden Knights Wild. So those are some pretty good games on the radar. And uh, Panthers Hurricanes. The, this is, I think, for my money, two of the more kind of interesting teams that weren't totally on people's radar going into the season. And uh, I like both of them, even though they are in Batman's hated non-traditional hockey market, you know, uh, Hartford fans and uh, Canadian fans will, will curse those two franchises to this day. I mean, there was a lot of talk, even when the hurricanes wore the Hartford whalers uh, retro jerseys last weekend, I think, of, yeah. you know, angry, Hartford fans at the cultural appropriation that had taken place. Uh, <laughs> nothing gave them the right to wear those jerseys and dig up and dredge up those those bad feelings that people in Hartford still have. But the Hurricanes are an interesting team, and I'm looking forward to watching them play the Panthers. All right. Uh, well, as a result, we're going to have to end the episode with Brass Finanza. Um, my name is <laughs> yes. Walt Hickey. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Walt Hickey. I write a newsletter called Numlock. Uh, you should subscribe to that. And uh, as we all know, it's the best season of the year, awards season, and you can read my awards coverage at awards.substack.com. Uh, Neil, and, where can uh, folks find you? Yeah, I write about sports at 538. I'm going to write about hockey later in the week. Uh, we also have a really cool project about the uh, Negro Leagues coming out uh, for baseball in uh, the next, uh, I think, tomorrow, uh, where, where we're kind of delving into the history of the great players that were not allowed to uh, play alongside their fellow greats because of segregation and the color line, just sort of like a appreciation and celebration of, the, of those players. Uh, and uh, yeah, also, as usual, going to shout out my GitHub again. Uh, yeah. You could find NHL team ratings, player player ratings, playoff odds there. That's at uh, Neil Payne 538. Follow it, fork it, split it. 
Download the data. Tell your friends about it. Neil Neil Payne's GitHub. It's where it's at. It's the it's, it's the Papa New Social Network. Like everyone's talking about Clubhouse. Pfft. Everyone's talking about Twitter Spaces. Pfft. Neil Payne's GitHub. That's where the party's at. Yes. Well, I say let the conversation begin. <laughs> All right. Bye.